And welcome back to Unwise Girls, your number one source of misleading information and untruths about the Percy Jackson series at all. I'm your host, Jacqueline. Uh, and I'm Jane. Percy is canonically 30 years old in the first book. Editor Jacqueline here to say that I'm about to forget a joke that I made five seconds ago. Please feel free to scorn me. Excuse me? <laughs> can, can, you, can you explain what you mean by this? Uh, no. Why? Wait, you have to tell me this. <laughs> you can't just say some something and then not explain it. You you have to explain it to me and the listeners. To be honest, I'm only thinking this because I recently made the mistake of dipping into the Attack on Titan fan wiki. Uh-huh. Uh, and the amount of whack bullshit that that retcons into the earlier parts of that story just made me... Made me think, what if Percy was actually being puppeted by a time-traveling version of himself from 30 years in the future, who made the Minotaur eat his mom? Which Attack on Titan character did that? Aaron. He was being piloted by, like, a a 30-year-old version of himself? I think for some of it, and for another part, he uh, made a a Titan eat his mom to maintain the integrity of the timeline. Uh, Spoilers for... uh, Attack on Titan, I guess, but it's really shit. Who cares? Yeah. Uh, uh, so we've got some news for you today to get away to move away from Attack on Titan. Please. There's been some Percy Jackson content uh, happening in the world. Hey, wait a second. Yeah. Percy Jackson is about fighting Kronos. So couldn't you technically say that it is an Attack on Titan? Ah. Uh... <laughs> Jane, <laughs> every week I say I'm so excited to do a podcast with my good friend Jane. I've known her for years now. It's been so nice to know her. And I've every single day that we talk, I'm delighted. And then we get to do the podcast, and you just say the most horrendous shit. And I think to myself, is this the life that I've chosen? Is this what I want to be doing with my next five years? If it's doing any consolation, a podcast with this clown. If it's any consolation, I'm saying equally to hurt the listeners as well as you. Understandable. Well, if it's to hurt the listeners, then it's okay. Uh, so for, <laughs> for so there's a preliminary casting call going out for the Percy Jackson TV show, specifically for the character of Percy and. There are a few, you know, frequently asked questions in the update. Uh, uh-huh. What age will Percy be? Oh, yeah, because I guess they changed it in the first adaptation. Yeah, uh, because he, Percy is a character who is 12 years old in Lightning Thief. And they made him like an 18-year-old, in, or maybe a 17-year-old. 16, I believe. And Logan Lerman looked about 20. Maybe. I could have sworn they, he was like a senior. Maybe that's the next movie. I but for this for this TV show they're looking for an actor who can quote play 12 and they want they basically want to have a Harry Potter thing they they want yeah. to have the shrieking shack they want to have the shrieking shack horror show HBO uh multi-season thing going on where the kid ages God. over the course of the series all right you sound like this is bad to you I 
I, I want this... Realistically, it won't, but I want this whole project to stay as far away from the Harry Potter well as possible. I know that like this is just because Disney wants their own Harry Potter, but like for 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 all the shit that we have given these books, they are not Harry Potter, and that is a great redeeming feature about them. Very true. Every single every what's that movie? Boyhood. Every movie. Every movie and TV show wants to be Boyhood now. Yeah. Harry, and I guess it's it started with Harry Potter. Harry Potter was the original Boyhood, but I don't know. It's whatever. It's fine, I guess. Uh, and it seems the next question is, and it looks like basically the information we're getting is that Percy is the first character they're looking for, and a lot of the other casting choices will be made depending on who get they get for Percy. I mean that makes sense. Um, there is a specific question on the page that says, "Is Percy a specific ethnicity?" It says that is not part of the casting call description. We're looking for the best person who can embody the character we all know and love from the books. I think it'd be cool if Percy wasn't white in the in the show. Yeah, for sure. If they do get like a, you know, a talented young child who is also white, then I guess that's fine. But I don't know. It seems like it would I I've I've heard a lot of people calling for Asian Percy. I don't know if there's a specific origin of that. Based anecdotally on one tweet I saw yesterday, it was just uh you know, uh, Southeast Asia has a lot of islands and there's a lot of uh, kind of ocean culture. And therefore, a kid whose powers are the sea would be appropriate for that, I think. True. That'd be very... That would be cool. I I don't know. So many Percy Jackson characters... I don't know. It's going to be weird. I know that he's white in the books. It's going to be weird if Grover isn't black. To, <laughs> I don't know. Like, Grover as a character is black to me now. That might just be the fault of the movie. <laughs> I mean, it's not really, it's not a bad thing. Uh, I just no. think that, like, it'd be it'd be cool if that was continued. Yeah. And they made him, like, the same character instead of, like, a bunch of stereotypes. Please, that would be very nice. I mean, I guess related to that is the news that uh, Ryden himself is, like, co-penning the script for the pilot, which true, that's, true. that's pretty good, I think. I know that, like... I know that like sometimes when um, people move from one medium to another, it doesn't work very well. Like I know um, uh-uh. Stephen King has tried to dip his toe into filmmaking a few times, and it hasn't gone well. It's perfect every time. <laughs> uh, but I also know that like um, the guys who wrote the Expanse books uh, wrote a lot of the best episodes in season five of that show. So I think there's definitely potential okay. for that to be really like good and make sure that things stay like more or less change the vision of the books rather than going off the rails like the first movie did that makes sense yeah another thing that i was hearing because i did do a cursory search of the subreddit oh christ um, uh and one of the things that i kept hearing from people was like if they make annabeth not blonde or they make her like not a blonde white girl that'll be a crime against the books because part of her character is being is that she is uh the people think she's dumb because she's blonde and i i i I haven't seen that yet maybe that's a thing later but i that doesn't feel like a substantial loss for the character (laughs) i would also say like if that is your argument for like the thrust of, of why the character should be like blonde white girl 
then I would ask you to like look inside of yourself and think <laughs> if there are any other like maybe are, are there any other reasons that people are ever stereotyped as being like dumb or looked out upon in that same way like may, that aren't being like a blonde white girl who could possibly say who could say um and I guess the next thing on the news is that like you said um it looks like the pilot is going to be co-penned by uh, uh, the creator of the show Black Sails. Now, do you know anything about Black Sails? Uh, I don't. My first exposure to it was you earlier telling me that the guy co-writing it wrote Black Sails. Basically, Black Sails is, from what I understand, it's a few seasons of television about uh, Captain Flint or something. Uh, if you've ever read Treasure Island, then that's, it's like a prequel to Treasure Island, and the first season is okay, and the next seasons are apparently, like, amazing and gay. Which I, I, is probably heartening. Yeah, that's, that's a good sign. I know, um, like, the books definitely, uh, get a lot more, like, queer representation as they go. And if they maybe are just trying to go for that from the start, I wouldn't be against that. I, that'd be cool to see. Uh, I think that's all we've got for news, though. Let's take on the t- matter of telling you about the chapters we read this week. I feel like we didn't spread enough misinformation in our news segment. We we promised that up top. Do we want to quickly throw in some malicious lies first? Yeah, it looks like there's also uh, some news coming in right this moment. It looks like Rick Riordan has stated that uh, Percy is going to be is they are casting for a, like a trans actor for Percy. So that the character can transition through the series. Oh, God. Uh, I'm also really excited about the uh, practical centaur effects that we've been hearing about. Uh, Every scene with a centaur, they are just going to decapitate a horse and stuff a guy down the neck hole. And then the the horse's spasms will have to be accounted for, but I think it'll it'll look really good. Oh, God. Okay. We we read (laughs) out... Okay, I, we read three chapters this week. I, for some reason, the whole time I was reading this, I was like, it's so weird that we're only halfway through the book. But this is the second to last episode in the Sea of Monsters. Uh, yeah. In the Sea of Monsters book. The climax has just kind of come out of nowhere, huh? I mean, not really. It's just the pacing was so weird that it moved a lot faster than it felt like it would. I guess, again, we, we're dealing with a book that's... I think like a hundred pages down on the previous one. Yeah. So that might just be why the pace feels a bit off. That's true. Yeah. I have some more thoughts for the chapters, but we can do that after we talk about the chapter summaries. Oh yeah. Chapter 15. Nobody gets the fleece. Polyphemus catches Annabeth, dealing her a nasty blow to the head in the process. Percy and Clarice attack the Cyclops while Grover tries to carry Annabeth out of the cave. While Percy and Clarice manage a few glancing blows, they can't do anything substantial to Polyphemus, who chases all four of them across the rope bridge in the centre of the island, and onto the section inhabited by killer sheep. Percy and Grover's attempt to cut the bridge to keep him at bay is unsuccessful as the Cyclops manages to make it to the other side of the chasm. However, Percy experiences a sudden, mysterious burst of strength, and manages to single-handedly bring the monster to his knees in a flurry of sword strokes. Before he can deal the killing blow, Polyphemus begs for mercy and in spite of everything his friends have told him, Percy agrees to let him live in exchange for the fleece, moved to pity by the fact that Polyphemus is a son of Poseidon too. 
However, Polyphemus goes back on his word, almost killing Percy before being stopped by Tyson, who hurls a cannonball into Polyphemus' chest, sending him plunging into the chasm. It turns out that he survived the engine explosion, and Rainbow, the hippocampus who carried him to the Princess Andromeda, fished him out of the water. He spent the intervening time searching for Percy and Annabeth before catching the scent of sheep and heading to this island. Percy notices that the killer sheep don't seem to be interested in Tyson, possibly because they think he's Polyphemus, and asks Tyson to grab the golden fleece from the centre of the island so he can use it to heal Annabeth. Tyson does this and then lures the sheep away, promising them food. Annabeth's wounds slowly begin to heal, and the gang attempt to use Tyson's distraction as an opportunity to retreat to the Queen Anne's revenge and wait for their friend. However, before they can swim all the way out to the ship, Tyson returns, being chased by the sheep and Polyphemus, wielding a boulder in each hand. Chapter 16. I go down with the ship. The rest of the group continues swimming to the ship, while Percy turns and helps Tyson face down Polyphemus to buy time for the others. The larger Cyclops shames Tyson for working with mortals, begging him to switch sides, and claiming that he hasn't been raised properly. When Tyson tries to use this opening to reason with him, the partially blinded Cyclops uses the sound of his voice to try and bash his head in with a tree. Percy manages to counterattack and knock Polyphemus over, but can't bring himself to finish the monster off with Tyson present. Instead, the two of them run, knowing that the blinded Polyphemus will be unable to track them in the water. Unfortunately, Clarice begins taunting Polyphemus, who uses, the, who uses the sound of her voice to hurl a rock straight at the revenge, sinking the ship. Fortunately, the Hippocampi are still around, and Tyson uses his own sea god powers to summon them, allowing all five friends to escape the island. The last thing Percy hears before he passes out from exhaustion is the sound of Polyphemus loudly celebrating that he's finally killed nobody. Chapter 17. We get a surprise on Miami Beach. The Hippocampi deposit the gang in Miami, where they discover that they have only a day left to get the fleece back to Camp Half-Blood and heal the tree. Clarice declares that this is all Percy's fault, before revealing the prophecy that the Oracle gave to her. You shall sail the iron ship with warriors of bone. You shall find what you seek and make it your own. But despair for your life entombed within stone, and fail without friends to fly home alone. Percy realises that Clarice has misinterpreted this prophecy believing that it told her that she would fail, have no friends, and flee home alone. However, what it actually means is that without friends, Clarice would have failed. And when it says fly home, it's being completely literal. The gang scrape up enough cash to get Clarice a plane ticket to New York, reluctantly handing her the fleece so she can go and finish her quest. Unfortunately, almost as soon as they see her off, the remaining kids turn and are confronted by Luke holding them at sword point, and with Agrius and Aureus in tow. He takes them back to the Princess Andromeda before demanding that they give up the location of the fleece. Percy informs Luke that he's too late to stop Clarice from taking it back to camp, which sends him into a rage. While he's spiralling, Percy surreptitiously uses the rainbow spray from the ship's pool to send an IM to Mr. D, meaning that the entirety of Camp Half-Blood hears the ensuing conversation, in which Luke admits that he poisoned the tree in order to get Percy to retrieve the fleece for him so that he could heal Kronos, and that Chiron had nothing to do with any of it. Mr. D, off the back of this, dismisses Tantalus and resolves to rehire Chiron, right before Luke severs the connection. He then orders his warriors to surround Percy and his friends, and execute them. So, what did you think of these chapters? Okay, these are pretty good. I'm starting to have a bit of a problem. Mm-hmm. Were you satisfied by this re- resolution to the Polyphemus thing? No. No? Okay, talk to me about your feelings <laughs> on that. I... Just think he's really weak as an antagonist. 
Yeah. Like, he doesn't have a personal relationship with Percy or really any of the characters besides Grover, and we see a little bit of stuff with Tyson, but it's not really, like, delved into in a way that, like, builds to a satisfying emotional climax, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I basically agree. I think that, like... <sighs> I mean, he's a big, scary monster who we've been seeing since the beginning of the book. Mm -hmm. And that's decent setup, but it's not like he's very barely a character. And that, I guess maybe he just isn't the main antagonist of the book, even though he's kind of presented as it. Um, yeah. Luke Luke seems like more the main antagonist of this book. Because that's, that's kind of what we got in Lightning Thief as well. We thought that Hades was going to be the main antagonist, and then it turned out that Luke had been pulling the strings all along. Yeah, and that's that's kind of, and that's more, that's fine. Like, it's more direct this time because it's not like a twist. So it's yeah. more like the antagonist from earlier came back, and now, you know, uh, they were, this was all a setup for you. I, I think it's like this, the, like it's obviously like a decent plot like they were well positioned and well supplied with their big old boat and the gang was super easy to track because everyone knew where they were going and you know they waited mm -hmm. until Clarice left to like spring their trap and it like it makes sense that they would need something to heal Kronos I just think that like I don't know I don't know I don't know what my problem is I don't think Luke should have disappeared uh, after the first few Princess Andromeda chapters. I think he should have been more of a presence throughout the book. Because, like, I think Rick arrived on Polyphema. This is entirely speculation on my part. But I think Rick came up with the Sea of Monsters idea and then, like, went through mythology to find, like, okay, what would an appropriate villain from mythology be for a Sea of Monsters plot? And he landed uh -huh. on, understandably, Polyphemus. Yeah, which... which... Which scenes of which scenes from the Odyssey can I copy over that I haven't already used? More or less, yeah. Because I feel like I didn't go into this last time, but like uh, going through Scylla and Charybdis and Polyphemus and Circe, and but also the Sirens. Like Odysseus also like had his men tie him up so he could hear their song. I mean, I can kind of see why you would have Annabeth do that, apart from just copying it, because like. She's a daughter of Athena, and Odysseus was like favored by Athena. So in that Very in that true. context, I think it's justified. But I definitely get what you mean. Uh, I don't think it's bad that like he's just copying over the things. In fact, I mm -hmm. think in that instance, especially, it's kind of good because it's playing more into Annabeth's thing of being like the traditional Greek hero. And also, from a certain perspective, it's like it's educational. Because, I mean, this is a kid's book. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think that, like, there's nothing wrong with any of that. It kind of feels, sane, like, not as interesting as the first book. Yeah. I, I was having a lot of those thoughts this week, and I wasn't sure if I should, like, save them for the last two chapters when we're giving our general thoughts on the whole thing. I mean, I think it's okay that we give it out at least now, um, mm -hmm. because that's how we're feeling, you know? And yeah. Part of the problem is that Polyphemus isn't more interesting. I think it'd be... There, he's Rick is trying to make him more interesting because he's trying to play with the whole like contrast between Polyphemus and, and uh, Tyson. He's trying to kind of make Polyphemus like 
representative of, like, Annabeth's past traumas. It doesn't quite land, though. Mainly because Annabeth is unconscious through these most of these chapters and the stuff with Polyphemus, so she doesn't really get a chance to face down her fears or anything. So it's more Percy, like, doing it. <laughs> and we're getting the whole, like, like Cyclopes are treacherous trick tricksters, uh, especially with how Polyphemus is like two big moves in these chapters are one that he sounds kind of like Tyson and that makes Percy almost like hesitate with like stabbing him to death. Mm -hmm. And number two is that he like appeals to Tyson both times he uses like a like a like a oh woe is me voice like a very pitiful like disposition yeah to try and trick someone and it i i'm okay with him using that twice because it's like his move and he uses it against different people yeah um but it does it feels kind of like that's all there is to him he's kind of like just the same as every other cyclops as yeah, far as we I, know, I guess. Because we, he also tries to do like a, a nature versus nurture thing with Tyson, where he's like, "Oh, Tyson, you're only served these mortals because you weren't raised properly." But like we we don't actually know anything about how Cyclopes are supposed to be raised. We don't know anything about um, Polyphemus's upbringing. So it, I think that stuff kind of falls flat. I wonder if that plays back into the like, like Cyclopes are either like roving monsters or they're working in Hephaestus's forges i have to assume that polyphemus is saying like if you are a roving monster like killing people like you should it kind of goes back to like the chronos thing like we're gonna restore the age of like like we're going to create a new age of monsters and death Mm -hmm. new golden age yeah new golden age i don't know i'm not sure about it it's just not very interesting ultimately yeah, he's. I just Luke has has so much more going for him as a villain. Like yeah. he has like a really deep rooted history, especially with Annabeth, and that's one of my. I guess we might see more of it in the next few chapters. But one of my gripes, I think, is that we're not. There's a lot of potential in the idea of Annabeth feeling betrayed by Luke, and I don't think that's being capitalized on enough. It's very much focused on Percy's own hurt and betrayal. Yeah, and I know that that's like fair, but we there are still opportunities that we could be getting that I'm okay with it being centered on Percy because he's mm-hmm. our main character. But I also do want like, you know, you know, out of the corner of my eye I saw that Annabeth was like quaking and like or I don't know, you know, or like I don't I don't know, something about like maybe she would yell something out at him or like it just doesn't I was like when I came into these chapters, or this last chapter specifically, and Luke came into the scene, I was like, oh, this is finally the moment that we were talking about before on the podcast mm-hmm. where Annabeth gets to confront Luke. And it didn't really get to be that. Yeah. Maybe it will be. Like, maybe next, maybe next like, episode. Because he, Luke is still here when the chapters end for this po- for this uh, section that we did. Uh, he's still, like, the threat. And so maybe next episode we'll be able to get some of that, but I don't... I I hope so. I, so far, I'm just a little disappointed. I should also say that I'm not just, like, generally saying more Annabeth because she is a good character and I like her. I'm like, 
specifically by like the standard set by the first book, where we got like so much of her character, and we got a lot of really great development for her, and this one just hasn't really stacked up to that. That's part of the problem for sure, because we got a lot of Annabeth and Grover in the first book, mm-hmm. and we haven't if it had been the same thing, but like we got a lot of Annabeth and Tyson or like, but it doesn't really feel like that either. There's a little bit of it, but Tyson does get some cool moments, but yeah, not to the same extent as the emotional payoffs you got in the lightning thief. Yeah. And Annabeth kind of gets some stuff like the stuff with Cersei, the stuff with like her talking about her past, the stuff with, like she has those moments but they aren't as effective i guess it's not we're not learning about her for the first time yeah so some of it is like retreading old ground and some of it is like new stuff or clarifications and it works but it's not as laid out as it was in the first book and i'm okay with a more subtle approach but sometimes yeah. rather than a more subtle approach it feels like just a sparse it's a sparseness there. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like we're kind of doing a bit of the heavy lifting for the story and reading into like like pieces that are there but are not necessarily being connected. Yeah. Uh, speaking of blatant retreads, um, I think my least favorite moment in these chapters is when they get back to Miami and find out that like 10 days have passed and they only have one day left to get the fleece back to Camp Half-Blood. <laughs> uh, I... Yeah, that was we. It makes perfect sense, I guess. Like they I disagree. Okay, t- t- tell me, tell me. I I disagree because like they straight up say that they weren't at sea for that long, and mm-hmm. I always thought the implication with the Lotus Casino was like time doesn't work differently in there. You are just having so much fun because it's such a paradise that you don't notice time passing. Right. And so I think it's kind of weird to then go back and say, oh no, uh, there's just like a black hole in the sea of monsters. I mean, time has to work differently in the casino because there's a kid from like the 70s in there who's still the same age. Well, yeah, but I assume that was just like, I don't know, the lotuses keep you eternally youthful and healthy or whatever. Hmm. I guess I was seeing it as like, that's sort of a general effect that these kinds of yeah, I, 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 I can agree with that. Um, I don't... I don't know. It's... Huh. I'm not sure. I guess I didn't... I didn't take issue with it, but, like, I can see what you're saying. Yeah, I, I guess, to me, it just feels like a, an excuse to, like, redo that really impactful plot point from book one, but with a lot less impact, because yeah, like, it gets it, resolved immediately. And what I do... What I do like from this is that we get... We get Percy's best moment in the book from this, though. Oh, this moment's great. I love this. This is when, uh, Annabelle, like, so basically they're arguing, they're saying, we all screwed it up. Like, uh, you know, Clarice, it's your fault. And uh, Annabeth and her and like are, like, shouting at each other. And Percy stands up for Clarice. He, like, looks through her point of view and is like, this is what Clarice is going through right now. She's, like, been sent on a quest. She has these big expectations from her abusive dad mm-hmm. and he like empathizes with her in that way that is so important to me it's it's really good 
Yeah, and I, I like that that moment of empathy is like even built up to with the Polyphemus stuff. Because, mm-hmm. like, twice Percy is on the verge of killing him and then thinks about it and realizes that that's not what he wants to do. And it doesn't work out for him there, but here he, like, he empathizes with Clarice and it turns out to be absolutely the right thing to do. Percy is, uh, I don't want to call him a soft boy. He is, he is, <laughs> he is a good kid, though. He is definitely yeah, a good kid. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's just a lot there that, like, made me... Because, ha- like, we have grown to like Clarice quite a bit uh, in this book. Oh, yeah. She's, she's the standout, she's for funny. sure. She, she's she's always screwing everything up. But, like, <laughs> in, like, in, like, the perfect, like, RPG character fail forward type of way stuff that, like, screws it up. Yeah. But the story continues perfectly. Yeah, and, like, it makes sense, like, even the, um... Because on thinking about it, I thought that I maybe should have felt annoyed at the scene where she's, like, taunting Polyphemus and he's throwing rocks at them. But, like, no, that actually is completely in character for her because she is, like, a bully. Yeah. So, of course, she's going to taunt this guy who she's bested. That makes complete sense. Yeah, absolutely. So it's definitely consistent with her characterization. I'm, I like it. We also get some Percy epic. Other than that Percy epic moment, we get some more Percy epic moments uh, in this in the last chapter. Um, we do, yeah. He, what do you, um, what do you think of his big moves? I I like I I like the bit where um he like surreptitiously calls Camp Half Blood and Dionysus so they can like listen in on the conversation. I might just be biased because, like, my favorite anime is Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, and that is something that um, the brothers do in like one of the first episodes of that. Yeah, that's like I think that's the first episode of uh, where they like expose the guy who's like a yeah. fake god or whatever. That's a really good episode. Yeah, so that might be coloring my view of it, but it's a good moment. Those are always like really good moments, and like there was one of those in I've been watching Young Justice with my friend and. Uh, my friend Ooh. Bree, shout out to Bree. And there was one of those where like a villain had thought he'd won it all, and the superheroes revealed that actually uh, they had just set up a big trap, and everybody had heard him admit that he tried to kill someone. And oh, uh, it's it's always very good. Actually, wait, I actually wait. I changed my mind. I watched um, uh, Zootopia with a friend of mine uh, the other day. Uh-huh. Uh, and the that movie uh, also ends this exact same way with like someone recording a conversation where the villain just says that they're going to keep doing racism forever. So I, I changed my mind. This sucks, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh Christ! Um, uh, and but we also get Percy try like figuring out how to basically finagle the prophecy. Yeah, I mean that's that's regular Greek hero stuff. Do they? I don't know if Greek. I I feel like Greek heroes. I feel like Greek heroes always kind of stumble into uh into their their prophecies and such. You know. I guess I mean more in a sense of like, the prophecies are almost always bullshit, and it's just a case of like when and how the characters find out that the prophecy is bullshit. Okay. Yeah, I get you. Uh, <laughs> how do you? There's a there. There is one line in the prophecy that I'm curious about. Oh. I'm wondering if you noticed this one too. You know, there's this part that says, but despair for your life entombed within stone. What does that mean? I think that's just the bit where she's trapped in Polyphemus' cave and she thinks she's going to die. 
Oh. <laughs> well, never mind. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I was like, Clarice doesn't get entombed in. St- I was, I was thinking like sealed, like Han Solo and stone. Uh, that is kind of how it reads. I yeah. That, I guess entombed makes sense because she was entombed in the like how that word, what that word means. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my mistake. I mean, I did. It did take me a second to figure that out, and I did briefly think that we were getting like really fucked up foreshadowing for like an arc later on where Clarice gets sealed in stone or something, which would have been nice. <laughs> That'd be horrible, or, or it could be. I good. mean, ni- nice uh, from a storytelling and foreshadowing perspective. Horrible because it's a character we like. Yeah, yeah. What did you think about Luke saying he was going to give the fleece back to them? Like, why would he do that? I mean, I guess he doesn't hate the other campers at Camp Half-Blood, right? No, I, I guess not, no. He kind of does, but... Well, I mean, besides anything else, he needs them to defect to his side to weaken the Olympians. Yeah. So, like, poisoning the tree to get the fleece out into the open, using it to heal Kronos, and then letting them reheal the tree and put everything back to normal, that, I think, makes sense for him. Mm, that's true. It feels like it feels like lingering. It feels like lingering regret to me. Like yeah, it definitely also that. Like he still like regrets what happened to Thal- what happened to Thalia, and like he doesn't really want her to die. Maybe even if she is a tree. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. That's kind of how it like. That, again, that was me just like reading into it a little bit, being like, what is maybe there's some subtext here, but. Uh, could be. Uh, Tantalus also got fired. Tantalus, I kind of turned out to be a nothing character, but I did like how he went out. He had a very cool going out. He tried. He he finally got to grab a burger, but the moment he did, he was sent back to Hades so he couldn't eat it. It's pretty good. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a funny send off for a character we didn't like very much. Yeah, a funny send off for a character who did nothing in the book. Um, yeah, I. He, I mean, he was dismissed before he could be a traitor in this book. But I'm looking forward to him coming back as a nuisance in a later book, is what I'll say. I think he's definitely, they're definitely going to have to go back into Hades for some reason at some point, and Tantalus will be a minor villain along the way, is my prediction. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, Shall we once again address the Tyson in the room? Because I think this was a decent set of chapters for Tyson. It was pretty good. Tyson gets to come back and do some badass stuff. My boy got a big hero moment. Yeah, he got to, he got to be like, uh, I, I'm not sure how I feel about this. It was cool, mm-hmm. like it's a cool scene. Polyphemus is like, you're a traitor to your kind, and Tyson is like, you are not my kind. And then he, you know, he gets to fight back against Polyphemus to protect Percy. Mm-hmm. And him and Percy fight together, which is very cool. Yeah, I like that. And I, I like all of it. I'm not sure how I feel about, like, I don't know. Yeah, it's cool. I think it's cool. It, 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 it works, I think. I think I was, for most of the chapter, I was like, this is cool. But I'm not sure how I feel about Tyson just being big, dumb, strong guy. And that being, like, where his character goes. But, is he still, like, it feels like that's not his character anymore. It feels like he's kind of shed that. I, don't, I, I mean, when he talks to Percy, there's a, definitely a couple of lines that he, like, where he just, like, doesn't understand what Percy is saying or for comedic effect. But I think, like, when we when we get him, like, using the same kind of sea god powers as Percy, right, and, like, coming right, into his own right. as, like, okay, Tyson is basically, like, a demigod. 
that ruled. That was that was yeah. also one of the best parts so far. That this is absolutely what he deserved to have after the crap treatment he's gotten in a lot of this book. Give Tyson sea god powers and he gets it. Hell yeah. Give him sea god powers. Give him a hippocampus named Rainbow. I do. I I have also true. I love you, Rainbow. Agreed. I want to. I, I, I had some supporting evidence towards an argument we had a few episodes ago, given Ooh, okay. in this, these chapters. Uh, Percy says the line, Not many people realize that when a ship goes down, it acts like a sinkhole, pulling <laughs> down everything around it. Now, dear listener, you may not remember, but, but <laughs> I, Jane and I talked about... Uh, whirlpools and i i made the very logical and fair claim the very you know uh true true statement that it would be safer to go into a whirlpool by yourself than with a ship going down around you and here dear listener beloved listener i have been proven correct by percy jackson himself no you have not (laughs) Because the point how, I made how, wasn't how? the point I made wasn't you would be safer going into a whirlpool with a ship. My point was you would never be anywhere near a whirlpool if you weren't in a ship. No, no, you changed your argument a little bit. I, I absolutely think. did not. I think you're cha- I think you're moving the goalposts. I think you're sea lioning a bit here. I think. To be fair, I actually did, I actually had forgotten we had that argument until you brought it back up. Um, I I do want to like, because if you're going into a whirlpool, and and your and your ship is going down too, that acts as like an extra sinkhole. That that acts like a second whirlpool. So I think that you have to agree that I am a genius. But how do you get to a whirlpool without a boat? I'm saying that if you see a whirlpool coming, you may as well like jump in, jump off, jump into it. Okay, but what if swim ahead? But the whirlpool won't necessarily smash up the boat. What if the boat survives? Now you're just being unrealistic. No, the the <laughs> boats in in here did not just get destroyed because they went into a whirlpool. They either had an engine explosion or had a rock thrown at them by a cyclops. So I, I feel like you're moving the like goalpost that. now. I don't know if that's true. I what do you think <laughs> about Grover in these chapters? Uh, Grover is a cameo role in this book. Grover is no. Grover is a damsel in distress. Truly, yeah. It's. Oh, is that why he's in the fucking dress? <laughs> he's Princess Peach. Um, uh. Oh God, I I I agree. Grover needs more of a character. I miss him being a character. I guess it's possible that the dilemma Rick ran into with this book was the like. Grover had a fairly self-contained and completed character arc at the end of Lightning Thief. Yeah. So there wasn't a lot of... I get there are other places you can take his character from there, but with the limited amount of screen time he ended up in because of where the plot put him, there's not a lot of ways to develop him. I just wish he got some lines. Please. He doesn't get to he doesn't get to have any interaction. I don't care. I don't I don't mind him like his character arc stalling out for this book or whatever. That's fine. <laughs> I I just wish he had some like interaction with other other people. We do get the moment where he like Grover, Annabeth, and Percy and or not, Grover, P- 
Percy and Clarice all like gang up at first to fight Polyphemus, and yeah, but that's that... like one moment. Yeah, because almost immediately uh, that goes into Grover running for it with Annabeth. Yeah, the Golden Fleece would make the world's best weighted blanket. <laughs> it's it's sixty pounds. It's you, you wrap it around yourself. It just it, it 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 crushes you slowly, but it's it sounds so, so comfortable. Also, it actually has no magical healing properties. Annabeth was just like so comfortable that her body healed on its own. Extremely true. Uh, Clarice carries Annabeth in that first chapter. I have she a does. note here, and normally I don't point out notes uh, like these just because I think it's bad podcasting form. The it, my note says Clarice carrying Annabeth like a potato sack is caught and it stops there. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I what I meant to write was is cause uh, for shipping, but they are literally and, running and I, towards I, a ship. <laughs> okay, uh, you're right. You're right. <laughs> um, Wait a second. I read out podcast notes like that all the time. Uh, so let's talk about. The- <laughs> Uh, I think we got oh, everything. my feelings. Else? Anything else? You got me. You destroyed me. Oh, it's okay, Jane. I, I ship you and being a good podcaster. Thank you. Someday it'll happen. Don't worry. It's happened already. Thank you. I appreciate that. Action's still pretty good. The action is still pretty good. I, mm, I, I like I like the, the whole Polyphemus confrontation, no matter how kind of boring it is, it it does have like it does have a cool it has this cool clear set piece mm-hmm. uh it the the setting is really good of like his island it's all been very clearly laid out you know the whole scene as it plays out you understand where everyone is and what they're doing it's it's good it's effective yeah rick did a good job of laying the groundwork of the island just not the dude who lived there no yeah uh i would I I wish Polyphemus was more of a character. I think even if he didn't get to be a character, but if he got to be like representative of something that was happening in the book, like a theme or something. Yeah. It doesn't feel like he does, and that's kind of my main gripe. Or even just like if he was just more intimidating. Cuz like the Minotaur in book 1 like that, you know, the Minotaur doesn't have a personality. And I don't think it was specifically like representative of anything, but it was like so vividly and horribly described, and it was such a like overwhelming threat that it made the action scene with it like really cool and memorable. And Polyphemus just yeah. doesn't have that. He's easily duped. It feels like part of it he's not really duped though. Does he get duped in these chapters? Grover's been duping him for the entire book. Okay, that's true. <laughs> uh, I feel like part of it, though, is that, like, our our heroes have gone from, like, ineffectual, like, 12-year-olds who don't really know how to fight. They don't even know that they're supposed to be fighting. Percy mm-hmm. versus the Minotaur was just, like, a random kid who suddenly saw his mom die and had to, like, call upon instincts he didn't know were there. Yeah. Um, Percy is now a trained combat veteran at 13. <laughs> He does sleep with his weapon under his pillow. That's true. I and so I think to that effect, like it kind of like 
lessens the impact of these monsters when they they aren't like scared like they don't have them they don't have like a bit where they're like too terrified by polyphemus to, to fight him i think that would have gone mm-hmm. a long way there is like there is a touch in here that i do like which i think maybe plays into that idea and could be like a good way of doing action for the series to lean into as they get more competent uh-huh which is um when uh, Clarice and Percy are like, they're holding off Polyphemus to let Grover and Annabeth escape. And there's that um, short confrontation where it's a case of like, they can, they have to be really skilled and really careful and land glancing blow after glancing blow on him. And they know that if they slip up even once, that's it. He'll land a devastating hit and probably kill them. That, th- that was good. Yeah, that's that's a really good way of doing action scenes with like really competent characters, because it means you can have them do cool shit and use their abilities, but also there's a ticking clock element of like they're gonna slip up eventually. Absolutely, and that's 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 like like you said, this is a good action scene. Mm-hmm. Oh hey, what the what the fuck is with the bit where um, Percy has like a random burst of energy and then beats the shit out of Polyphemus? It's like it's just after it's just after he um, crosses the the chasm and gets onto the same side as them, and Percy just goes absolutely sicko mode on him. Is it just like adrenaline? I guess I'm not, I'm not really not sure to be honest. But there's there's even a line where like Grover draws attention to it and says like, "How did you do that?" I feel like this this must be like foreshadowing for something else. <sighs> That's a good possibility. I I'm really not sure what it's about. But in looking for it, I did find uh, the good Grover line from these chapters. Oh. Um, which was Annabeth waking up saying, you're not married? And Grover grins and says, no, my friends talked me out of it. Okay, yeah, that is a good that is a good Grover line. That is very good. The I, humor is definitely well, still there. Yeah. I, that's... That's kind of what's holding it up right now. It's the humor, the action. Uh, the character work is still fine, but it's not as good. It's I, taken a dip. I'm curious to see how this all resolves. Yeah, for sure. Maybe subtle little breadcrumbs have been laid all throughout the book that will suddenly come together for a finale that will make us both cry. You know, I I would love that. I would, I would really love that. It probably won't happen, but you know what? I'm, I'm probably open not. to having my mind changed. I didn't cry at the end of last one either, and I, well, I don't know. I did actually tear. Yeah, up you did. At the, <laughs> I, I did admit to tearing up at the part where Percy was like walking down the stairs of Olympus. Yeah, we both teared up during the first one. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a good book. This is a pretty good book too so far. I, this it's is fine. Yeah, fine is how I would describe it. Uh, and I think. That does it for us today. Jane, thank you for being with me here today. My pleasure. It's been very fun as always. Yeah. If you'd like to reach the show, you can drop us an email at unwisegirlspod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at unwisegirls, where we also have a link to our official Discord server. If you like us, you can support us uh, by rating, reviewing, Downloading our episodes, uh, supporting us on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash unwisegirls. For $1 a month, you get a special role in our Discord, marking you as a camp counselor. For $3 a month, you get an even specialer role as a friend of Dionysus and access to all of our bonus content, 
last bonus episode, we talked about Kerbal Space Program. We talked about uh, Gundam. We talked about Jane Jane's common interests with Joe Rogan. And no, don't say about- it like that. <laughs> And we talked. We and as always, we talked about Homestuck too. Uh, and for five dollars a month, you are a you get the special stroll in our Discord of Aphrodite's Chosen, uh, all of bonus content, and a shout out at the end of our episodes. Uh, yeah, this week uh, we'd like to give a shout out to uh, Medusa, Daddy Poseidon's ex, uh, Mercy. And Veronica Friend, who we also want to give an extra special thanks to for leaving us our first review uh, on Apple Podcasts, bizarrely, which is a platform that our distributor says we shouldn't be on, but we apparently are. So that's cool. But 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 actually, but yes, thank you very much, uh, Veronica. It was very nice. You you are a fan yeah. of the podcast, truly. It's true. As we always say at the end of every episode. I'm sorry, I had to do a yawn. See you next week, we Camp all- Blood. <laughs> See you next week, Camp Half Blood. Bye bye. Bye.